elders of the people. Now he that betrayed him gave them a sign, saying, Whomsoever I shall kiss, that same is he, hold him fast. And forthwith he came to Jesus and said, Hail, Master, and kissed him. And Jesus said unto him, Friend, wherefore art thou come? Then came they and laid hands on Jesus and took him. And behold, one of them which were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck a servant of the high priest and smote off his ear. Then said Jesus unto him, Put again the sword into his place, for all they that take the sword shall perish with the sword. Thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my father, and he shall presently give me more than twelve legions of angels? But how then shall the scriptures be fulfilled that the he? In the same hour, in that same hour, said Jesus to the multitudes, Are ye come out against a thief with swords and staves for to take me? I sat daily with you teaching in the temple, and ye laid no hand on me. But all this was done that the scripture of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. May God have blessing to the reading of his word. Let's make our prayer. Now, Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you would sanctify this time that I believe for most of us is our most important time of our week as we hear the word of God preached. Lord, help us to understand what, friend, what a friend is and help us understand the friend that sticketh closer than a brother. And we'll thank you for it. I pray you bless in our time, time around thy word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, Sherry. Thank you, Sarah and Alicia and Carlene, and thank you, Eric, and thank you, choir, and thank you folks for being here this morning, and uh, they can't hear me, but thank the number of folks that are downstairs preparing the meal this morning. This is one, one way, one of our most chaotic services of the year, because there's uh, a lot of 40 pounds of uh, baked mashed potatoes being made, and, or have been made, I should say, and you know, food preparation, of course, going on and so forth. We had some people coming to 815 service so they could prepare for the this uh, high noon hour, and uh, again, I invite you to stay. I hope you can stay for the, the lunch to follow. And uh, take your Bibles and turn again, if you would, please, to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew 26. Our text verse is verse number 50. But before we look at verse number 50, of course, this is the night of Jesus' betrayal. Most everyone here is familiar, I'm sure, with the story. I will draw your attention, though, to verse number 48, as Judas, the betrayer, comes to Christ by night. He was one of the 12 chosen, and of course, the Lord knew before the foundation of the world that he would be betrayed by Judas, Iscariot is his name. It says, verse number 48, now he, that's Judas, that betrayed him, gave them a sign, gave the soldiers of the high priest a sign or a signal, saying, whomsoever I shall kiss... It's interesting, that word has the word, uh, it comes from the root word from the Greek language for phileo. We know we have our word love from that word. Whosoever I shall kiss affectionately, uh, whosoever I kiss, the same as he, hold him fast. And he came in verse number 49, and forthwith he came to Jesus and said, Hail, Master, and kissed him. That word, not to remember this, but it's the word kataphileo, 
means to kiss tenderly. And of course, a few hours, most of us know the story, what Jesus, or rather Judas, would do. He would go out and he betrayed innocent blood and went and hanged himself in the potter's field, as we know. The Bible gives a prophecy. He betrayed Jesus, and a few hours later, he was dead, and he's been in hell for these 2,000 years. He betrayed Jesus Christ. He's the one that walked with him and loved him for three years. You say, how do you know that he loved him? Verse 50 is our text verse. And Jesus said unto him, Friend, wherefore art thou come? Then they came and they laid hands on Jesus and took him. I've studied that verse many times over the years. I don't mean to sound like a scholar, but I've looked at dozens of commentaries in regards to this verse. I've preached from this verse before over the years. I probably looked at 15 different theologians and commentators in regards to this one one phrase that Jesus said, this one word that he said to Judas Iscariot, he said, friend. It's a different word. I won't bore you with the, the Greek word, not that it matters. It's found three other times in the New Testament. 102 times we find this word friend. But this word friend is the idea of a companion, fellow sojourner. Friend, as it's translated, as, it's, as we see in the word of God. And as I studied this passage of scripture, it amazes me. Jesus knew what was in Judas' heart. And yet he didn't say with, the Bible says that in Jesus there is no guile. That he, he, he didn't say this facetiously. He didn't say this cynically or sarcastically. When he said to friend, or he said to Judas, friend, he meant it. Jesus, what a friend for sinners. Jesus, lover of my soul. What a friend we have in Jesus. It's an amazing statement when you think about it. Just a few hours later, Jesus Christ would be nailed to the cross. And he would say those words, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. We see this in Jesus' darkest hour that Jesus called Judas friend. The first lesson I think we learned from this is that no matter what the circumstances, if we are right with God... We can still be tender to people. Judas was the enemy. Judas betrayed Jesus with that kiss. Jesus called him my friend. It was prophesied in Psalm 139 and verse number, or Psalm 41 verse 9, excuse me. Yea, the psalmist said, mine own familiar friend in whom I trusted, in whom I did eat, in whom, which I did eat my bread and has lifted up his heel against me. And so, 102 times we find in the New Testament this word friend or friends. Webster defines friends as this, and I quote, one who is attached to another by affection, one who entertains for another sentiments of esteem, respect, and affection, which lead him to desire his company and to seek to promote his happiness and prosperity, opposed to a foe or enemy. Uh, definition two, one not hostile, opposed to an enemy in war. And one, third definition, one reconciled after enmity. There's a word we don't use much, the word enmity. We, before we came to know Christ as our Savior, if you know Christ as your Savior, the Bible says we were at enmity with God. The Bible says no man seeketh after God. They're all gone out of the way. They're together becoming profitable. There's none that doeth good, no, not one. And so we see this. Definition of friend, Jesus called 
Judas, a friend, might be called a friend of God. I think of three, in way of just introduction and preparation for the message here, I think of three men in the Bible that were called friends of God. The first would be Moses. In Exodus chapter 33 and verse 11, the Bible says, And the Lord spake unto Moses face to face, as the man speaketh unto his friend. Uh, Abraham, it said of Abraham, the, the patriarch in James 2, 23, that he was, he was called a friend of God. He was, Abraham believed God and was counted unto him for righteousness. He was called a friend of God. Why well, to be called a friend of God? That's amazing. Lazarus was called a friend of God. In fact, a friend of the Lord Jesus. Jesus said as regards to Lazarus that he sleepeth or he was dead already. He'd been dead for four days, John chapter 11. And Jesus, before he raises him from the dead. But he says, he says our friend Lazarus sleepeth. We had Andrew Phipps here. I've used him several times. He texted me this past week. He, he's in the book for the book that was just written on Mike Pence. He's quoted three times in that book. He's a personal friend with the Vice President of the United States. That's a pretty big deal, I think, to have a personal uh, fellowship or personal friendship with the Vice President and President of the most powerful nation on the face of the earth. That's pretty something. But think about it. We didn't know Jesus Christ as Savior. We're a friend of God. Way better than being a friend of the President of the United States or the Vice President or any person in Congress. A friend of God. And so G. Campbell Morgan said it this way, A man may have many acquaintances in life, but few friends. I'm glad that I've had some good friends in my life that have helped me throughout my life. And I could just name a few just in way of reminiscing in my own mind. I think my pastor, Pastor Bennett, many of you have met Pastor. He's now with Alzheimer's. He... Uh, he doesn't know when I call him, my, his daughter, who I'm friends with, of course, she's there in Ohio, and she said, Marty, he won't remember you 10 minutes after you called him, or he won't remember that you talked to him, rather, he'll remember your friendship, but he won't remember that you called him. But I think of all the blessings nearly 40 years ago, 40, almost 50 years ago, as a teenage boy, young junior high boy, how I met Pastor Ben and how he helped me. Some of you know Pastor Rich Savatsky. He'll be flying in on Monday, and he'll be with us Monday and Tuesday, but not for a service, but uh, just coming in and coming out just for some business. But uh, Pastor Rich is a dear friend. Pastor Gill, I was at Nardelli's the other day. Yesterday I was at Nardelli's, uh, and uh, I walked out of the restaurant, and there I saw a gospel track sitting on the, on the ledge of the restaurant. And I, I says, who's that from? And I picked it up, and it says, Lighthouse Baptist Church, Pastor Gil Targlino. He probably was in there, and he just left a track there, of course. I think of friends that have been a blessing in my life. I don't know if you know if you have friends in your life that a true friend will check you. He'll, 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 he'll question you when you're about some decisions that you might make that might be right or wrong. A true friend will challenge you, he'll challenge you to greater heights, to be better than you are, to be more than you can be. A true friend will change you. And that leads me to our message now this morning. I just have three simple points, three admonishments, if we could call it that, in regards to friends. First of all, this morning here, as I think of Jesus' words to uh, the betrayer, he said, friend, and Judas, uh, and he said on purpose that Judas is, uh, he's been in hell. I know that may be tough language for some of you, maybe, I don't know. But he's been in hell because he rejected Jesus Christ as his Lord, as his Savior, and we'll come back to that in the end of the message. But I know the first admonition about friends is, that first of all, there's friends to keep. 
There's friends to keep. Friends that are loyal friends. Those are the best type of friends, friends that are loyal. The Bible says, a friend loveth at all times, Proverbs 17, verse number 17. And a brother is born for adversity. Loyalty is not in vogue in America anymore, and it's not in vogue in our families. And I don't mean to be harsh, and I don't want to be mean in any way, and I don't want to be disrespectful to anyone here, but we, in America we live in a whole society of broken families. We don't know loyalty. And if I could preach for just a few moments... The Bible says, honor thy father and thy mother that their days may be long upon the earth. Love your mom or dad, even if they're dead. Love them. You say, my mom and dad, wasn't, they were far from perfect, and I have issues with my dad. Love your brothers and sisters. I got news for you, they're not perfect either. <laughs> I got news for you. Love your children, they're not perfect. And children, love your parents. And siblings, love your, your other siblings. And we're all imperfect people. But I see so much divorce and schism and division in families. It's no wonder churches in America are filled with, have people come and go over the years. And I'm not suggesting we have a number of visitors this morning. I'm sure glad that you're visiting us this morning. And some of you are from out of state. And some of you came for a loved one or a friend. Thank you so much for being here. But some of you call Harvest Baptist Church your, your home, your home church. We're far from perfect, that's for sure. There's no church on earth that's on this side of glory that's perfect by any means. In fact, we're far from it. We're the only sinners saved by grace. But our families are far from perfect. And I've seen a pattern. If you divorce from your family, you'll eventually divorce from your church. You divorce from, you, and I say divorce, so you separate, you get, and, and here's what happens in regards to Loyalty. And it happens all the time, you know. And sometimes us Baptists and sometimes us evangelical Christians, we should know the best, but we were the worst at this. We find something we disagree with on somebody, and somebody in our church that we disagree with, the pastor. We've had people leave. I've been pastoring for 34 years, and we've had folks leave because there's 988 things, 998 things out of 1,000 they agree with me on, but they find two things they don't agree with me on. And they, they separate and sometimes I, if I'm not careful, I can separate from somebody that I, I love, because I, not because we agree on 998 things alike, but I find the two things a day that we disagree on. And loyalty looks past differences. Loyalty forgives, loyalty forgets, loyalty moves on. We have to learn to deal with different personality types. Let me just give you a verse here. You, you'd like to take full, the full notes here. This is not on your worksheet, but 2 Timothy 2 uh, chapter 1, verse 2, the Bible says of Timothy, to Timothy, Paul said, My dearly beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Timothy was a completely different person than Paul in regards to personality. Paul was, could be, he was a uh, uh, type A personality for sure. He was uh, assertive. He was bold. He was aggressive. Timothy was raised by his mother and grandmother. Warren Worsby, the theologian of the commentator, said he called First and Second Timothy. He summarized the, the book with this synopsis: "Timely tips to timid Timothy in troublous times." Timothy was evidently a shy guy. And Paul said, I, I, "He endured." Paul told Timothy, "Endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ." He had to be admonished. But loyalty looks past personality differences. Loyalty looks past. Differences of, uh, of 
of peculiarities of how we do things. We all do things differently. We all disagree with things. I always say I disagree with myself half the time. How can I expect other people to agree with me all the time? But that doesn't mean that we can't be loyal. We love our family. We love our family members. We love our, uh, our friends. And a true friend is loyal even when there's schism that can come in the way. And so a true friend, a friend to keep is a loyal friend. They're hard to come by. But secondly, a friend to keep is a loving friend. Sometimes we need somebody to just pick us up. Somebody to tell us it's okay. Somebody to be there when we're falling down. Ecclesiastes 4 verse 9 says, Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. Thank God for helpers. That's why God gives, uh, gave Adam a helpmeet, somebody to help him. And the Bible says, Whoso findeth a wife in Proverbs findeth a good thing and obtaineth favor of the Lord. I'm not, I know I'm not talking all married people, but marriage is a good thing. It's honorable in all, the Bible says. And God gives a helpmeet, gives a wife or gives a spouse to help one another. And that's and there, there's to be a love like Christ has a love for his church. This loving relationship of friends, as Jesus said, Jehovah God rather said in Jeremiah 31 verse 3, that he said, uh, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Job 6 and verse 14, the Bible says of Job, or said, Job said, To him that is afflicted, pity shall be showed for his friends. Sometimes we need to hear what we don't want to hear. The Bible says in Proverbs 27, a loving friend faithfully wounds, the Bible says, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Ointment and perfume rejoice the heart, Proverbs 27, verse 9. So doth the sweetness of a man's friend by hearty, hearty counsel. So a friend loveth at all times, but a brother is born for adversity, and we need to be loving. Sometimes you need somebody to cr- a shoulder to cry on. Sometimes you need somebody to ta- talk with and walk with. I got a text last night, and I have to be evasive on purpose, but I got a very lengthy text last night. I got to respond to it before the day is out. Somebody is pouring out their heart uh, to me. Now, I know this person, and I've, they, there was a time when this person was, used to attend church. They no longer attend church. And let's just say it this way. Life happens. Things happen. We preached a message a few weeks ago. You know, things go better with church, I believe. Not Coke, but things go better with church. And, uh, but things happen, and they reach out. They're at the proverbial bottom of the barrel. They're down to their last strike, I'm afraid. And they, they finally reached out, and I'm glad they did. Now, I could chide them today. I'm not going to do that. By the grace of God, they're looking for help, and they're looking for counsel by God's grace, I'm going to hopefully be able to offer that to them and say, sure, by all means, let's, let's talk. Let's sit down and talk about it. But a friend, a real friend, tells you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. Hopefully, pray for me that I can just lovingly get to the root of the matter. Why maybe things have gone wrong in their life and in their family and do it with grace and tact. Galatians 6.1 says, He that are spiritual restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. All of our friends are sinners, but we're, we're sinners ourselves. And by, by, by the grace of God, go I, go us. And so a friend is loyal. A friend, that's the type of friend to keep. A, a loyal friend, a loving friend. But then, thirdly, 
and I know these are interconnecting here, but, and I guess rightfully so, a lifting friend. Somebody that lifts you up. Somebody that, the Bible says, Proverbs 27, 17, iron sharpeneth iron, so, does, so, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. Sometimes we just need to be around a friend. Hey, you, for you folks, uh, some of you know that Pastor Steve Baker, for you veterans, some of you don't know that name, but he's probably my best pastor friend in the world. He's been my, one of my longest pastor friends. I've known him for before I was a pastor, 37 years now, 38 years. And he's been a mentor. He's out in Pennsylvania. He just texted me this morning. I just haven't had time to text back. He's spiking Agnes are in his church this morning. They're, they're, they're singing for, the, for uh, his Calvary Baptist Church there in Hop Meadow, Pennsylvania. And uh, so he's with, and Brother Steve always, Pastor Steve uh, texts me and encourages me about every Sunday. I usually get a text and he, he says something funny in a text about, about serving God and about uh, uh, having a great day in the God's house. And then he said he's praying for me. I appreciate those uplifting words. Sometimes I get out of sorts. I know you never got out of sorts, but sometimes I get out of sorts. And uh, I'm glad I have a friend that lifts me up. A friend that could, could condemn me, but he doesn't choose to condemn me. He lifts me up. David and Jonathan, and we did not turn there, but in 1 Samuel chapter 18, we read about the love that David, filial love that David and Jonathan had for one another. David, of course, Jonathan, the son of Saul, who Saul wanted to kill David. Many of you know the story. The Bible says in 1 Samuel 18, 1, and it came to pass when he had made an end of speaking unto Saul, that's Jonathan, that the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David, and David loved him as his own soul. Later on, it says that the love for Jonathan and David, now don't take this in the wrong way, they had a brotherly, filial love for one another. The Bible says their love surpassed the love of women, that they loved each other so much that after Saul, Jonathan died, that David, in fact, 2 Samuel 9, chapter 9, verses 1 through 13 David said, is there any left of the house of Saul or the house of Jonathan that I might show kindness to him? And some of you know the long story that t- plays out over several chapters of Mephibosheth, the crippled boy of Jonathan. And John- David took him into his house and was kind to J- Mephibosheth till the day he died, of course. And, uh, you know, there's some people, friends to keep. There's some in... 34 years of pastoring this assembly here, we've had a lot of people come and go. Many have gone, crossed by River Jordan, and that means they've, they've gone, they've, they went through death, they went to heaven. And uh, some of you have relatives that were, your mom or dad were in our church. And one reason I'm good to you, and I've said it many times, and I said, I'm good to you because you're godly parents. <laughs> I'm showing favoritism, and I rightfully show so. Yeah, I want to lift you up because your, your parents lifted me up and lifted the church up and lifted others up, and now I want to lift you up. You see, friends to keep are those that are loyal, no, no matter what, those that are loving, love that the Lord Jesus has with an everlasting love, those that are lifting. And then lastly, letter D, uh, a friend to keep is a, is a lasting friend, a lasting friend, not only loyal, but Lasting, a friend loveth at all times, in the good times and in the bad. Jesus said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. Remember when you were children, remember in the playground? I'll be your friend if you do this. If you share your ice cream with me, I'll be your friend. If you uh, give me your toy, I'll be your friend. Jesus doesn't put conditions on his friendship. 
He said to Judas in the time of his great betrayal, he said, friend, wherefore art thou come? Why'd you come? Do you remember Judas walking with me for three years and all the fellowship that we had together? The Bible says he loved them to the end. Friends are, there's friends to keep and those are, they're loving, they're, they're, they're loyal, they're lifting and they're lasting. But then, secondly, a second admonition, there's some friends, and I put in quotation marks, friends to keep away from. Bible says evil communications corrupt good manners. There's some friends, and I, again in quotations, that you need to stay away from. The Bible says, in fact, uh, I want you to turn to one, this is for uh, you upperclassmen, as I like to call you. If you turn in your Bibles, please, it's not in your notes, but would you turn, please, to 2 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, I'll get there in just a moment here, but there's some friends that you need to keep away from. You need to keep away from compromisers. The Bible says in Deuteronomy 13, verses 6 and 8, if thy brother the son of thy mother, or thy son or thy daughter, now that's pretty close of kin right there, or wife of thy bosom, your wife, or thy friend which is is as thine own soul, entice thee secretly, saying, let us go and serve other gods which thou hast not known, nor thy fathers. Thou shalt not consent unto them, nor hearken unto them. Amos 3.3 says, can two walk together except they be agreed? Now, the Bible teaches what's called separation from a compromiser, from a person who's walking disorderly. Now, this is strong Christian meat, but let me give you the text here. It's 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. I say the text. There's several other texts in the New Testament alone that teach us this truth. But this is one of the great texts of, of this truth. Verse number 6. Look at 2 Thessalonians 3, 6 for the second time. Now, we command you... The Bible says, it doesn't say now we suggest to you, this would be a good idea. The Bible says, now we command you, brethren, it's talking to Christians, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so they put a punctuation in denim. This is in the name of Jesus Christ. We command you that ye withdraw yourself from every brother that walketh disorderly and not after the tradition or the doctrine, in other words, which ye have received of us, the Apostle Paul said. And then verses 7, for sake of time, through verse number 13, go in detail and explain these people that we need to withdraw from and then give the reason why we need to withdraw from them for heresy. Let me give you just for a couple of examples. You may not know this, and if you're hearing this for the first time, trust me, you don't trust me, but check it out in the Bible and find out if this is not true. Jesus Christ is not only the Son of God, but he's God the Son. He's God. Jesus is God. And all God's people said, Amen. the Bible teaches us that. Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sin, and all God's people said, Jesus Christ rose again the third day, and all God's people said, the Bible teaches us these doctrinal, foundational, fundamental, cardinal, call them what you want, doctrinal truths. The Bible says, draw yourself from every brother that walketh disorderly, and then it, it talks about a whole list of things, including those, now this is strong meat in 2019, I'm just saying, if you look at verse number seven through verse 14 in your time, after the service, after this evening or sometime, and look at it, it talks about those if, that will not work. The Bible says, if the man will not work, neither, neither shall he eat. You say, wow, that's cruel, that's mean. No, the Bible is teaching the sanctity of work, how important that is. But we get to verse number 14. 
sliding through the passage of Scripture and getting to verse number 14. And if any obey not our word by this letter or this epistle, note that man and have no company with him that he may be ashamed. The Bible teaches separation from a brother or sister that is walking disorderly. Yes, it does. Now here's, but here's the flip of the coin. Verse 15. The Bible says, yet count him not as an enemy. Jesus said, love your enemies. Pray for them that despitefully use you. The Bible goes on to say, but admonish him as a brother. And so, the Bible teaches a biblical point of separation. Let me give you some help here. Let's give a real practical admonition. Oh, man, I'm going to step into it on purpose. You know, we have a, we have a, we have a drug problem in America, in case you didn't know that. We have a serious drug problem, among other problems. I just, it just, just popped in my head, so let me play with it. We have addicts. We have addicts in our own family. And I know it's a heartbreak. I do, too. And we all, we all been there, done that. And there comes a point in time where you have to say enough. The, the world calls it tough love. And you have to separate. Because they'll drag you down and they'll drag everybody else down as well. That doesn't mean that we stop loving them, though. But the Bible says we need to put barriers up, walls up, and it's called that biblical truth of biblical separation from compromisers. Secondly, quickly, we got lunch to eat. I got to hurry here. <laughs> Uh, the second group of people we need to stay away from are criticizers. Now, I said criticizers, not critiquers. See, Job didn't have three friends that were critiquers. He had three friends that were criticizers. Job 32, verse 3, also against his three friends was his wrath kindled. That's Jehovah God's wrath. Because they found no answer and yet had condemned Job. It's easy to critique, it's easy to condemn, it's easy to realize why somebody's going through their problems and, and, and tell them so. If, you know, if you're doing right, this wouldn't have happened to you. You must be in sin. Uh, how many, I've even had it as a pastor, and uh, I'm not looking for pity when I say this, but pastors are held to higher standards by the average general public than other people. As well, they maybe should be. But I say, I was talking to a pastor this week. He, he called me, and you don't know who he is. He's out of state, and I'll just tell you, he called me because he had a great tragedy happen in his family that wouldn't be a tragedy for many families. It would be just fine. But his daughter got pregnant out of wedlock. He's a pastor of a fairly large congregation, in fact, a very large congregation. And he called me, and of course, uh, he's not getting the grace that others would probably get. And it's, and it's hurtful. And some people say, you need to step down. You obviously didn't rule your own family well. And I know this is, again, strong meat, and maybe it's a personal illustration. But criticizers. The Bible says a for, forward man or a vain man so of strife. And a whisperer separates his chief friends. These critiquers, these criticizers, rather, mark it down. They're the kind of friends you want to stay away from. They're the ones that condemn you and make you feel bitter. A critiquer makes you feel better. You see, in case you're wondering, I happen to be a pastor. I'm not a CEO. I'm not a general manager. I like to say this. I don't get to pick and choose who God brings into our church. He brought you in, right? 
A general manager, he hires and fires. He only, he only wants the best clients for the best athletes or the best personnel. You're not my sheep. You're God's sheep if you're a child of God. I'm just a shepherd. I'm more like a coach, a mentor. My job is to make you the best you can be, and that sometimes it requires critiquing, not condemning. Critiquing, not criticizing. Some would say there's a fine line, but one is given out of disgust and wrath and, and piety, false piety. The other is given out of concern and care and love. And so we see, you want to stay away from, you need to discern between criticizers and critiquers. You've got to discern between those that you need to, that you need to, that are compromising and have chosen to go a certain path and to separate yourself from them because they'll drag you down and drag everybody else down around inside you. But thirdly, let us see, a third group of people to keep away from are the crafty workers or the, the cynical workers or the, to use it, the text verse would be 2 Samuel chapter 13, verse 3. But Amnon had a friend, and that's in quotations for sure. Amnon was the son of David. Many of you know the story. And he fell in lust. I didn't say love. He fell in lust with his half-sister, Tamar. Many of you know the story that we're going to involve incest and rape. And then a murder, of course. The Bible says that Amnon's friend was Jonadab, the son of Shimea, David's brother, so a cousin of his. And Jonadab was a very subtle man, the Bible says. They're scheming. Stay away from friends that tempt you to do wrong. I uh, remember as a high school senior, I graduated from high school, and I was already working at Golden Dawn Grocery Store in Geneva, Ohio. And there happened to be, I was a beggar. Of course, I was a stocky boy. But uh, one of, the, one of the, the girls always ran the cash register, and there was this pretty girl that was on the, one of the cash register ladies, and she was several years my senior. She was like early 20s. And at break time, she would, she would uh, she'd say, hey, you want to come out? And, hey, you ever smoke marijuana? I mean, smoke a joint. This is 1975, 1976, rather. Long time ago now. Oh, it's really fun. I said, no, no, that's all right. I was intimidated by her, and I didn't want to, I should have told her right off the bat I was a Christian, but I, I was too ashamed, too embarrassed. Summer went on, and of course I went to college that fall, and finally, day after day, once a week or twice a week, she would say, hey, let's go, they'll never know, let's, let's go smoke some dope. And of course I, I didn't succumb to the temptation, I'm so glad I didn't. But she wasn't my friend, I often think about where she's at today, I doubt if she's even on planet Earth, to be honest with you. I think she's probably gone, but I don't know. There's some friends that you keep from, and so there's friends that you keep, there's some friends that you keep from, and I use that in quotations for the last time, but then thirdly, a third admonition, and here's the crux of the message. There's a friend to keep close to. Right now there's 11 apostles of the Lord, hand-picked, chosen disciples of the Lord. They're in heaven. Their names are going to be written on the Foundation walls of heaven for all eternity. There's one apostle who was born out of due season. We know him as Paul, of course. The 13th and probably the 12th, we could read about Matthias, but we think Paul. Judas is exempt. You see, the Bible says, Proverbs 18, verse number 24, a man that hath friends must show himself friendly, and there's a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. 
Jesus is the friend of sinners. Jesus is the one in Song of Solomon says, his mouth is most sweet. Yea, he is altogether lovely. This is my beloved and this is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. Why is Christ, why is he a friend that sticks closer than a brother? Why is Christ your friendship or should be your friendship? Well, Christ died for you. He died for you. John 15 and verse 13, Greater love hath no man than this, and a man lay down his life for his friends. This is Veterans Day weekend as well. I've seen a lot of commercials on television. And we have, how many veterans do we have here? Raise your hand, please, if you're a veteran. Probably have them stand up here. In fact, let's give them a big Stand up, stand up. All you veterans, stand up. Thank you. You men can be seated. Another time we, we should have, and of course we, we had a Veterans Appreciation Day in May, and of course Memorial Day weekend, of course, is always big. Where we, we thank God, and almost spontaneously we, we show a hand of applause, or we clap, or we, some way we want to show that we're appreciation towards those that are willing to lay down their lives if need be, and some that have, for our freedom. Those better than ourselves that are willing to die for those that don't care. Jesus died on that cross for, he died for the sins of the whole earth, the Bible says. Jesus Christ died for your friendship. He, he, Jesus Christ, for the child of God, he defends your friendship. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, My little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate or a lawyer with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is a propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So Christ deserves our, he, he died for our sins, rather. He defends, he died for our friendship. He defends our friendship, and he deserves our friendship. Zechariah 13 and verse number 6 says, And one shall say unto him, What are these wounds in thy hand? Then he shall answer and say, These are the wounds in which I was wounded in the house of my friends. Let me give you the the eschatological, there's a fancy big biblical word, interpretation of that verse. If you know anything about the Bible, you know the Old Testament is primarily written to the Jewish nation. The New Testament is primarily, and I qualify, was written to the Gentiles. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them give you the power to become the sons of God. The Jews have, this is a Blanket statement, and it's not, not true in every case. Of course, there's many Jews that have come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. But they've rejected Jesus Christ overall as their Messiah. Many Jews are atheists, agnostic people, which is hard to believe. They're hard-hearted people. It's not a racist statement. It's just a statement of, I believe, uh, of actual fact and, and majority opinion, of course. But Jesus, he deserves... Your love, he deserves your friendship because he came for you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He lives for you. He ever lives to make intercession for you. He suffered. He said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. He, he was beaten for you. He was spat upon for you. He wore the crown of thorns for you. He died on the cross after six hours of cruel agony and Separation from God. He died on the cross for you. He rose again the third day for you. 
He offered his blood for you. He ascended. He intercedes. He's preparing a place for you. He's coming back for you. What a friend we have in Jesus. I close with a personal illustration and we'll wrap it up and be done here in just moments. I talked to my buddy. I talked to him fairly regularly, several times a year at least. But Bob Latigo is his name. Bob's a Baptist preacher. He lost his wife three years ago. Many of you have heard the story. He's my age. He's 61. He's in Florida now. And Bob's family was the family that befriended me and brought me to church as a boy in country northeast Ohio. Uh, we didn't go to church. Our family, we weren't, we were, I'm not, I don't say this to be funny or to be mean or whatever. We were just good old-fashioned heathen people, so we were. <laughs> we just, we just, uh, we were bar people. We were, we were good people in the world. We weren't bad people, but uh, we just didn't do church. It wasn't even part of our vocabulary. And uh, the Latigos, I was the project kid. <laughs> They'd pick me up for, drive me 11 miles to the, the, the church. And Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, there was nothing to do. We didn't have, we didn't have video games back in those days. <laughs> didn't even have cell phones. That's how old I am. We didn't even have cell phones. But... Uh, we, we had just uh, black and white TV, and that's if we could get the channels in, no cable, no nothing like that. So what did you do Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night? Well, they went to church every time the doors were open, which in their case was Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. They invited me for years, no joke, to come to, as a boy. I never came, only in, in special occasions and so forth. And one day, of course, I've told the story many times. They invited me to a revival meeting. Bob invited me for the, literally, I say 100th time, that's a lie. Probably the 500th time. And I, I came to church that night and the preacher preached on a very negative subject that some people say, you don't really believe in that, do you? He preached on the subject of hell. And I heard a lot of people say to a lot of other people, go there. I'm not trying to be funny, but I heard that language a lot. And I, I, that preacher, as he preached, I realized that there was a, never been there, never been to hell, never been to heaven. But I heard the story about there, how there's a heaven and a hell. I heard about, this is a boy that knew nothing about the word of God. I heard about Jesus had a, God had a son, his name was Jesus. I heard his name a lot too. And I heard, uh, I, I heard a lot, of, a lot of language like asking God to damn things. And, uh, so I was familiar with language, but in a different context. And I, that day, I preacher preached in the need that there was a friend that loved me so much that he came and died for me. We've all heard it. How many times have we heard it? We've heard it so much it's, it's bland. Most famous verse in the Bible, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. I can almost quote that in my sleep. I guess I quoted it too fast. But my buddy Bob brought me to church. My buddy Bob was concerned for my soul. But my buddy Bob couldn't take me to heaven. I had to receive Jesus Christ as my own Savior. The invitation was given. And I didn't get saved. I'm not going to heaven because I walked forward in a church. It happened to be a Baptist church, whatever that means. And during the, what's called the invitation... Back in those days, he went back to the back office for the preacher, and that's what I did. And he led me in what's called, I found out later, it's called the sinner's prayer. And I asked Christ to come into my heart and save me. I knew already that there was a God in heaven. 
I didn't even know the Bible. I knew that God had a son, his name was Jesus. I heard his name a lot, Jesus Christ. I didn't hear him as Lord. I, I believed, I'd never been there, I no, wasn't a Rhodes Scholar, never have been, never will be, not a rocket scientist, but I believed that one day when the person dies, they either go to heaven or hell. Heard people say, you're going to go to here or go to there. It's amazing, when people die, everybody goes to heaven, it seems like. That's what they say. But Jesus said, you must be born again. He said, the man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. And that day I received Jesus Christ as my Savior. That was some 50 years ago, almost. Now, Bob is one of my best friends in my world all my life. He's been a lifelong friend because he was loyal, he was loving, he was lifting. He, he uh, was, uh, whatever my old word was, I can't remember it, <laughs> lasting. In 50 years, he's still lasted in my friend. We'll go to heaven forever. But Bob did for me what... Bob could not do himself for me. He brought me to the Lord Jesus Christ, brought me to the Savior, and I received Christ as my Savior. The songwriter said, J. Wilbur Chapman, a very famous evangelist of 100 years ago, worked with D.L. Moody. He influenced thousands of uh, evangelists and pastors in the 19-teens and 20s. He died on Christmas Day, 1925. Died at 56 years of age, but he said, Jesus, what a friend of sinners. Jesus, lover of my soul. We're going to sing that here in just a few moments here. But I want to invite you, if you've never received Christ as your Savior, the greatest friend you have, you may have people in your life that they've, you're friends and you're no longer friends. You may have friends that you need to keep away from. You may have friends, you say, I've got a close friend in my spouse or my, and a loved one or a friend or a brother. But the greatest friend you have is one that says, friend. Come, take up the cross, you follow me. And my burden is light. My, my, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. The Bible says we can come to Christ. And he says, all you that are weary and heavy laden, come and I will give you rest. He invites you to come to him today as a friend. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word this morning. Lord, thank you for all the friends that are here of, Lord, some, many cases, members of this assembly. Lord, I don't know the heart, but Lord, you know every heart. Lord, I pray that you would do a work of grace in hearts and lives in these moments of invitation that only you can do. Not that a church can do, not that a pastor can do, but only you can do. Spirit of God, touch, even if there's one heart here that needs to be touched this morning, and I believe there's probably many more than that. Lord, do a work of grace in hearts and lives this morning, we pray, and we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we stand, 309 is our...